This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Craig Enzor, welcome to Better Reading. Cheryl, thanks for inviting me. Um, Craig uh, is a partner at a leading Sydney commercial law firm. He has published numerous short stories and can often be found writing at 5am in between work and spending time with his wife and children. Craig is here today to talk about his first published novel, The Warming, released in July this year. It's set in the year 2221 when temperatures are soaring, sea levels are rising and the world is dying. The Warming is a hauntingly beautiful book that depicts a nomadic existence where love and hope are the only means of enduring a planet that has turned against humanity. I mean, it's so topical, Craig. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, even though it's raining outside and it's cold, it's <laughs> and the book's called The Warming, it is, it is very topical. Um, and uh, it... It... it uh, it kind of developed in that way. I, I wrote it in 2013, 2014, the first part of it, just as a, it came as an image, as a beach story about um, a, a couple um, who were seeking to get away from the world and they'd suffered some tragedy in the past and they were trying to re-establish their relationship so they headed to a beach house in the middle of nowhere um, and it was set in the future and then I had to imagine the future and the future for me at that point, 200 years in the future would be a lot warmer. Um, the inevitable consequence of, of water rising as a result of the polar ice caps melting and other consequences of a warming world. And, and it was just a matter of trying to depict how it felt to be living in a world like that, um, focused on the people that are my characters that I created for that world. And tell me about the research. What did you do? I mean, you know, fiction, as we know, is based always on some level of truth. Um, mm. And in a book like this, there's a lot of level of truth, even though you've come up with, you know, how much of it did you research and think that, you know, this is what it's going to look like? Uh, Where did you get that picture in your head? It, well, I, I'd read uh, some of Tim Flannery's work. I'd seen Al Gore's um, documentary. I was across not in a detailed way, the science, but I, I knew the way, uh, the, the trend of temperatures pre-industrial nearing to 1.52 degrees. And for me, it was just imagining, well, if you followed that through to its inevitable uh, point, what would the world look like? Um, if we're una unable to arrest that trend, what would the world look like? And then um, you could easily imagine um, a world with 50-degree temperatures. Um, I think that's not that far off. <laughs> well, on some days you, you think you wonder yeah. we're almost there. but yeah. um, And the consequence of that, the polar ice caps melting, uh, thermal expansion of the, of, the, of the oceans could easily see sea, sea levels rise. 
uh, probably not to the levels in my book. Uh, I've done that for dramatic effect. Of um, course. But, um, and, and once you start to consider a world like that, you start, certain questions are raised as to how will humans behave in a situation where the world is, world is dying. Um, we're used to dealing with our own immortality, but the immort the own mortality, but the mortality of the race is, is something we just we don't need to address, and it's really difficult to address. But when you think about it, it would change the behaviours of, of humans. I mean, it's it's topical, obviously, but it's also very controversial. And you know, you tell me that you're doing the research and you're reading and you see it, and without a doubt, in my mind, I feel the same. What is it that people that don't believe that climate change is real, because it's very divisive in this country and, and it's very divisive globally, uh, you know, we have political campaigns that are even run around uh, uh, run around those, those that issue. What is it that they're looking at? Is it science? I mean, this is what I don't understand. Do you have a view on, on how that happens? Well, I think it's uh, – and I, I sort of wrestle with this issue in the book with the, the characters. The yeah. denies the father figure in the book um, denies – I think deep down he accepts obviously it's happening, but he – he denies the inevitable outcome of it. He sort of holds out against the, the rest of the world or the rest of Australia and doesn't move south to Tasmania and beyond. Um, and it, I think it, it is a way of uh, uh, protecting ourselves um, from the worst uh, because... So we're in denial ourselves. Yeah, so, yeah, so as to accept change and accept... The truth is is very difficult and dangerous for for many people, um, and it, it's it's a lot easier to to just deny it away and pretend it's not it's not happening. And it's something that you'll see in the character of Finch as he grows older. He he starts to repeat some of his his father's sort of conservative denial-like thinking, even though he's progressed in a lot. A lot in in many ways, it's still a tension within him mm. as he gets older. Do you know? I I think that there's there's that, and and but there's also the fact that economies globally are built around the fact that, well, are built around the the, the fact that there's no there's no solution in terms of finance. Like if you have a look at the way um, the Adani mine or mm. what's happening in the US. The, the way that our economy is structured is not to allow for decisions that aren't going to create jobs or make a lot of money or people, you know, getting personal wealth out of it. Mm. And so you've got this problem that's so entrenched that it's almost, I feel sometimes that it's actually almost impossible to fix anyhow. Mm. Would you? Well, unless there's a... a a sort of radical shift towards investment, investing in um, industries that sequester carbon and, and grow seaweed, seaweed farms and, and, and other things and um, and that becomes an industry that you you can monetize and um, and jobs are created as a result of it, um, then you can see the shift the shift happening. Um, but there needs to be a groundswell uh, amongst the business world and critically amongst polit politicians to 
to make that change. And it's sort of gradually happening, but... Um, but the conservative kind of reef we're feeling globally is, I think, setting us behind another hundred years. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, it's a shame the last, last few years there was sort of some significant movements in the right direction, mm. but we've kind of... Uh, there's been a rear guard action back against that, mm. um, which has made it more topical. But the, I guess the movement um, that's happening at the moment is is generational. It's sort of um, it's the younger generation where um, that are particularly disturbed about what's happening to the to the planet and want to do something about it. And they're mm. kind of out there walking the streets and mm. and and trying to actively trying to change what's what's happening. Mm. It's not going to change if we don't get the right people in government, though. That's the problem. Because I just think all governments are, you know, I mean, well, the, the conservative governments are really just all about power and money. Um, and that's where we're stuck. Yeah, well, that's that's why um, I think fiction is, is, a, is an interesting device because um, a lot of people... Um, may even see the science and, and say, okay, well, that's, that's numbers, but I can't really imagine what the future's going to look like. That's just numbers on a page and I can't trust that. Um, but if you extrapolate imaginatively in, in fiction, imagine a world uh, where um, the, the trend ends at a certain point in 50, 100 years, 150 years' time, and you depict it in a novel and people read that and think, well, that's not the world I want to live in. That's mm -hmm. a world that's... Um, heading towards uh, a decline mm. or the end of humanity where people are forced to live on, on boats. And I know it's speculative fiction, but... Um, but you've it, done the research. But, yeah, but yeah. reading that, you, and if you engage with the characters and you believe in the characters, you'll start to think, well, if that's the world that's going to end up for my children or the children of my children, then that's not a world I want to be a part of. No. Um, and in, the, in that way, it can change... So Some tell me, um, um, we'll just walk away a little bit from the doom and gloom. And this book isn't doom and gloom, I'm at it. It's not, it's not um, completely depressing to read. I mean, there's a lot of good resolutions in it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a love story at its it heart is. and it's it is. meant to be hopeful. Yes, absolutely. Um, what I want to talk about is, you know, so you're a practising solicitor. Yep. So talk to me about that career and how you came to that career and then what brought you to writing. Because really, I, you know, you don't think of law and creativity in the same thought, <laughs> do you? No. Well, I'll, uh, I've always, uh, I've always had a, a passion for reading and writing when I was young. Um, Where did you grow up? I grew up in Sylvania in the Sutherland Shire. Yeah. Um, and which back then was almost kind of semi-rural. There was a creek about 100 metres away and then I, we moved to near a golf course where I used to look for golf balls and tadpoles in the creek. So some of sort of Finch's adventures in the book are not dissimilar to my childhood. Um, but I had a, a happy, um, functional uh, childhood where I played probably more sport than I read, um, golf, um, soccer, cricket. Uh, but always had... Um, the love of books and, and did you and always have school. stories in your head? Are you that kind of daydreamer that it was always thinking of a what if? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, actually, before I came here, I looked. I kept my old storybooks from when I was in year seven, when I was fourteen, fifteen, and I was writing stories back then. Yeah. Um, 
and and loved it. Uh, but there was a bit after. There seemed to be a gap after the ages of fourteen. I think I, I sort of Which drifted away from it. Which is very, very typical for boys. Mm. You know. Yeah, I was just uh, interested in other things. But um, then I went to went to university, did a um, bachelor of arts degree. Um, oh, so you did do that? Yeah. I did yeah majored in English and philosophy, and then had a, a bit of a gap year, um, and then did a law um, a law degree at Sydney University. And uh, the, I guess what I enjoyed about the law. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, in that was that it involved words, and, and, and words were one of my passions. Um, it had this problem-solving element to it. Um, not quite mathematical, but certainly there was... Uh, Many legal issues do have uh, an answer. So there are grey areas, but generally they do have an answer, and that attracted me to it. Um, so it's the use of words between the creative side and the, the legal side. Um, although they have similarities, you've got to be able to use rhetoric and be persuasive. And um, they legal writing is generally to close down meeting and present a particular point of view and convince someone else of that point of view. Whereas creative writing is to open up meeting, um, have some level of ambiguity and, and sort of fire start the, the reader's imagination, not to close it down, but to open it up to new possibilities. So you're suggesting that they're both storytelling? They're both, <laughs> yes, they are. They're storytelling in a way, but um, with with different outcomes. Yeah. Um, but many of the, the tools and techniques are, are similar, tone yeah. and... and um, and, and structure um, are not not dissimilar. And you're reading a lot too, aren't you? Yes. Well, yeah. You thought you, you must, you've got to enjoy reading if you're going to be a, a lawyer or a writer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So tell me when the when the idea came and how you thought you would tackle the project because it's 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 as you know it's not easy to sit down and write a book. Yeah, I think uh, the idea came in about 2013. Um, it was just a, an image of a. A beach house and a couple looking to who had suffered some tragedy from the past, looking to get away from. And the that world. was the idea in your head. That, that was yeah, that was the yeah. idea, and 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 also the idea that the only only persons near were the father and son, the fifteen-year-old boy, who was tasked with delivering groceries to them once a week, and um, I wanted to see what would what would happen as he sort of infiltrated himself into their lives 
and inevitably he he fell in love with with um, April, who he was 15, she was 22, so she's seven years older than him, um, which is an eternity um, when you're 15 and 22, but not an eternity when you're in your <laughs> any in your 70s in particular, but any age in between. Um, but I also wanted to uh, make it add the complexity of him falling in love with um, Spear as a, as a teacher. William Spear is the, the husband of April, who's a composer. He's a little bit older, he's 26. He brings a piano with him to the beach house. That's pretty much all they bring. And he's composing this, um, this song for his wife, for April Forever. And he spends most of his time doing that and kind of neglects her in the process, and which opens up an opportunity for her to almost fall in love with, with Finch. But Finch definitely falls in love with her. Mm. Um, so Beautiful. that's how it that's how yeah. it started, and then uh, it it grew uh, over time to the migration to Tasmania, and then on to Mawson in Antarctica. I think Tasmania came into the picture when my wife was pregnant with our first child, and we took a trip down to Tasmania just before she couldn't fly anymore. It was, she might have been in early thirty weeks. Um, and that the landscape and and the fact that she was pregnant must have had either a conscious or subconscious effect upon the writing because from that point sort of children became and whether to have children or not became a major theme in the book Tasmania Hobart was a, a major setting um, and even uh, I think Mawson because Mawson was one of down by Constitution Dock there's a, a a place there where you can visit the Mawson Museum. That was a, one of the departing points for the expeditions down to Mawson. So it all sort of came together in, in that sense. Um, Tell me about the craft of writing. Like, how you know, you talked about the fact that you're waking up at 5am. When you first decided to, to do this, I mean, you've had the idea, but there's the craft of putting pen to paper in a way mm. um, and you know you're typing out how many thousand words a day um, talk, talk to me about that process um, and finding the time because that's often very challenging well the time yeah the time is on weekends uh, I generally you'll see in this book there's short sections mm -hmm. um, uh, it's it's just too daunting to I think to um, start a book where you're just writing um Endlessly, but if you can treat um, or approach it as a as a particular scene or situation that's three or four pages long, then it's easier to do on a on a weekend or, or in the in the morning. Um, and then the book builds um, part by part. Um, so you just scene. thought, okay, I'm going to sit down and write a fiction book. And did you do any research around that, or just no, I. I had um, in my notepad uh, it roughly sort of sketched out. I don't, um, I don't plan things out completely. So you wrote um, it sequentially. Yeah, I write it sequentially. Um, I, I have a rough idea of where I wanted to head, um, but it surprises me um, as I'm writing. And what's healthy about having large gaps, I think, in the writing process. So if I'm writing from weekend to weekend and I don't touch it in between. It's because um, I'm focused on work. My subconscious is working on it, and by the time I get to the weekend, I sit down and it, it comes out. 
So there's no writer's block um, because mm. I'm ready. I'm ready to go by the time you I sit back it. down. Yeah, yeah, you're ready. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Um, and so that that's that means that I'm quite efficient. I do, yeah. even though I don't get to the desk very often. I don't write every day. I write when I can. There'll be gaps of time between, but when I do sit down, it it, it comes out. Mm. Mm. Um, so it's it's. Um, other than, you know, once you get the first draft down, it's just a question of rewriting and, and rewriting. I think writing is um, really rewriting. It's There's no such thing as writing. If you're writing, then mm-hmm. that's not good enough um, because you you actually find, find the book that you didn't set out to write in the process of rewriting and, and going deep within it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know, Many people set out to write what they know about, and I think that's a that's a good thing. But if you end up with a finished product of what you knew, then you've lost. Really, you, you need to find what you didn't know mm. through the process of, of the writing. I like that. Um, so, how does you know in terms of comparing what you do during the day and comparing what you're doing with writing? How do you compare those two occupations? Uh, and dare I ask, which is your favourite? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love being a lawyer. They're totally different. Um, one, uh, being a lawyer is obviously using words, but it's it's problem solving, it's business skills, it's working teams. I love the team, the firm I work at. Um, it's it's a part of me that I love doing. Um, but then there's also a part, other part that enjoys the solitude and and just working away in, in, in quiet solitude at creating my own world mm. um, and um, so I, I couldn't do one exclusively I don't mm. think um, mm. I, I, I couldn't I couldn't quit my job and just be a writer um, that would that would depress me because I'd be I need social activity I like to feel mm. like I've got a foot in the world um, yep. uh, and you know I and I couldn't just be a lawyer exclusively. I, I, I like to call it a hobby or, or whatever uh, to chip away at the writing on the on the weekends whenever I can. Mm. And how did you get published? How did you kind of navigate that process? Because uh, that's not easy either. No, it's. Um, I mean, the book that book was five years old, sitting in the bottom of the cupboard. And um, I th- I did you in, go back to it? I went in January two thousand. 18, um, a close friend um, passed away, and I, I just thought, look, life's, life's too short. Um, I might just, it was, I was just going to send it out. So I picked 10 publishers and, and sent it out and got a couple of, um, this is okay, but, um, and then, uh, but Ventura were, were interested, and they're about a kilometre away from where I live. So, um, uh, that was pretty exciting, and then um, then started the the structural and copy edit process. And how did you find that? It was, it was great. I, yeah. I mean, the book grew during that process from thirty five thousand words to over seventy thousand. Mm-hmm. The, the skeleton was still there; everything was there. Just the parts were fleshed out, particularly the the, the second and third part in in Tasmania and in Antarctica mm-hmm. became much larger. Mm. And it was only during that process that I, I think I really sort of drilled down on the true themes of the book. 
mm. and and denial is is a, a major theme in the book. Not only the denial that's put um, the planet in the situation it is, but you can see small denials amongst all the characters um, because that is a, a natural response of, for humans to change and rapid change is to deny it. So um, whether it be the father denying his, his son uh, and their family moving south to a more hospitable planet to um, uh, Bly, um, Finch's daughter denying herself a child uh, as a reaction to the, what the world's become. Everyone is living through their own small denial mm. throughout the mm. book. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Craig. The book is called The Warming. It's out now. Thank you so much for coming into chat with us today. Thank you, Cheryl. It's a pleasure. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.